Today on Seahawks Forever, Seaside Joe will be joining me to share his in-depth thoughts on the Seahawks roster and their prospects for the upcoming season. And a very interesting player comp he has for Geno Smith that you're going to want to stick around to hear. And I'm going to pick his brain about how he continues to be so prolific in producing his daily Seahawks newsletter. Seaside Joe joins me next. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Welcome back, everybody. I am Dan, and as promised, joining me now, Seaside Joe. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, Dan. I uh, I haven't done a podcast in a while, so <laughs> hopefully I'm uh, not too rusty. I got to cut those. I'm cutting those ums out right now. It's like riding a bike. I've been <laughs> doing this in some form or another for 25 years, and uh, my 89-year-old awesome. father told me the other day, he said, can I give you some constructive criticism? I think you do a really <laughs> great job on that show, but you say um too much, so... It's a tough one. <laughs> Unless it sounds like uh, parents. Yeah, exactly. Right. He will always be my toughest critic. Um, I want to start right at the top, kind of with a global look about what you're doing now. A lot of people might know you from some things you've done in the past, most notably um, field goals and your role that you used to have there. You've been doing this. Uh, first of all, this daily newsletter, what's the streak up to? Today is 1,556, I think. Consecutive days of producing a newsletter without a break. Yeah, it wasn't the plan uh, in the <laughs> beginning. And it probably wasn't even the plan at 1,000 uh, to keep going. But if I can do it, uh, you know, I'll do it. And so every day I've been able to do it. Why the choice to do a newsletter as opposed to more traditional web-based writing? Well, I was still at field goals when I started it. And I think that at that time in my life, I was just looking for something that could be my own. You know, I think that when you're at a Seahawks website, maybe perhaps, or any type of website with uh, a specific category that people are going to there for, maybe they're going there for that thing. And I felt like, what's something that could be, if you just want to hear from me uh and you know now it's under the persona seaside joe um so it's just like if you just want to hear from me and what i have to say mm. go maybe try this out as a compliment to what i do uh at the seahawks website so um eventually like there were circumstances outside of everyone's control that moved me to another website but that allowed me to still continue to do seaside joe um, and it was just in the newsletter, it felt like it was something that was so ancient that maybe it would be fresh again, I guess. Hmm. Uh, it was something that felt unique. It felt like something that was not that everybody was doing, you know, and I try, I've always tried to do maybe just something that wasn't, um, I don't want to say in a crowded space, but maybe just something that felt unique or fresh compared to um what everyone was doing not that what everyone is doing is necessarily a bad thing but it just felt like an outlet where i wouldn't have a lot of attention and i could just grow and, and try and get something out that was that was my own and uh, i didn't mind the fact that i wasn't going to get a lot of attention hmm. by doing it I, I just had a a sense that it was the right thing to do and this was you know several years before moving to Substack and um, actually having it grow 
kind of to where it's grown so far today, which was never the expectation. It was never about, you know, getting paid subscriptions or doing anything like that. Right. Um, it was just some way for me to do something uh, where I could directly reach the people that, for whatever reason, wanted to hear my thoughts on the Seahawks. What's the old saying? Uh, something old or something old is new again. <laughs> Once, yeah, I can't get it. Something I had it, I had it, new, and I lost it. Something old is new. is always new again. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so at one point, so you said you, the goal at the beginning wasn't to do it daily. When did you realize that the the demand was there, and also the desire on your part to make it a daily newsletter? It was just sort of a weird set of circumstances like a perfect storm i guess because i was going through a, a, a transition phase in my life of trying to like be a new version of myself basically mm -hmm. and that january uh i just sort of was like i need a fresh start in my life uh i stopped drinking at that point you know i was just like i'm gonna stop drink again it wasn't like i'm gonna quit drinking because i was i didn't think I don't think, and I don't think now that I have a drinking problem. It was just like, I want to be really focused. And I, so drinking just sort of doesn't help there. So it was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to stop drinking. And I read this book by Tim Ferriss, uh, that was, uh, the tools of Titans, which was, um, just from excerpts from his podcast of the, the success, successful people he had interviewed and said, this is sort of what they have in common. And there were several, there were several things in there that appealed to me. And I thought, okay, what if I apply this to my life? Uh, some of those including meditation and uh, intermittent fasting and, and sleep. And there were certain just like little things in there that I thought, okay, let me try to apply this to, into my life. And then I also got this gift uh, at a, this gifting thing that was a gift of a free meditation learning session over four days. And there was something called Vedic meditation. And the thing that she, the guru, really pounded home to me was the difference in Vedic meditation is that it's a non-negotiable daily habit. By that meaning, you do not negotiate away your meditation. You do it no matter the circumstances. And we believe in meditating for at least 20 minutes a day, once in the morning and once in the evening. And if you do that every day for a year, you will meditate 730 times. And I said, immediately I said that I'm going to meditate 730 times. It's just like what I wanted to do. I like doing things to their maximum uh, potential, I guess, or at least I just, I like to challenge myself and see, can I do this? Uh, I'm very competitive with myself. So I have since that very first day of that meditation, which was over four and a half years ago, I've meditated twice a day for 20 minutes. I, I've not missed one. Mm. And that's, you know, 16 or 1700 days in a row. So, uh, there was that. And then I said, okay, let me apply this to other things in my life. So I've got up to this point about a dozen non-negotiable daily habits that I apply in my life. And when I started the newsletter, like I said, I started it just to sort of have an, a different outlet. Yeah. And then one day, two days, a week, a month, a hundred days, a year, it just kind of kept on growing and deciding to just keep it up. Just see like the challenge. How far could I keep this going? Um, I would not be surprised if some people said that's stupid, you know, uh, what's the point? Uh, but the more that it just grows, I just feel like I don't know how I would go to bed at night if I didn't write a newsletter about the Seahawks. Interesting that, that, uh, 
you know, an outlet that many people would view as just a way to talk about a sports team that you love and, and to, to sort of delve into a hobby every day is actually a, an example of bigger changes you made in your life. It, and I mean, I, I feel like the people who have been with Seaside Joe since day one, or even in just the first year, they must see some sort of change in me that I can't even see. Mm-hmm. But I know that I've changed so much in the last four years. And there's like, there's a clear, you know, just sort of a clear through line of that growth or, you know, I don't know if I'm better, worse or growth, you know, I don't want, I'm, but the evolution of, of Seaside Joe and who I am personally, the writer, um, I know I've gotten better through that. And now it is sort of a, a meditation uh, of sorts in its own. Uh, and definitely it's, 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 it's so vast. I, I, my, my fiance would probably be able to tell you that I think about, <laughs> I think about writing about the Seahawks all day long. <laughs> so it's just something that I can't really get away from. Well, we'll have her on the show next and we'll get into that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, talk about the challenges of a daily newsletter. Is this, because uh, certainly as a writer, there are days that you feel more creative than others, I'm sure. Do you literally write every day or are there some days you kind of stack things up? It's, uh, I would say, you know, out of 365 days a year, I probably write 355. Uh, we went on a trip a couple weeks ago or a week, I don't know, a week or two ago. And I had to stack a couple days, like you're saying, I had to schedule it out. But to be honest, I, I've been writing almost every day since 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was initially hired by Danny Kelly and mm-hmm. I'm sure that he would tell you that there were times when he had to force me to write maybe in the summer, you know, yeah. where it was, it's harder to come up with ideas and stuff like that. But I feel, I would say that I would attribute some of it to my ego, thinking that I'm so smart, that I have so much, I'm so clever, that I have so many good things to say, that I must have something to say today. And that, you know, that ego, that delusion probably forced me to have to come up with ideas where there doesn't seem to be any. But if I'm being, you know, completely transparent about it, I have a dozen ideas every day Mm. and I have to think about what the best one is. Um, and, and, and forget the others, or maybe I'll write two articles that day or three articles that day. But the idea is, I don't really have a problem with it. So what I would say is maybe some people who get the newsletter say, I didn't need this today. You know, maybe there's those days where it's like my idea for an article wasn't that good, you know, and maybe so there's those days where it's like, Oh, you know, the, the old adage, slow news day, which, you right. know, when you write for so long, you hear that so many times, it's like, yeah, it is a slow news day. What did you want from me? But it, it, and you could say, yeah, maybe you don't write a newsletter every day, but the ideas, uh, are okay. I mean, they, uh, I'm okay with being able to come up with the ideas and I, I might, I don't, I have, I, I don't feel at a lack of being able to write 3000 words a day for some reason, for whatever it is, I don't have any athletic talent. I don't have any, you know, <laughs> I've failed at so many other, I, I, I did a podcast and I'm not, I wasn't good at that. I didn't feel very good at that. I didn't feel good at making videos. Hmm. I didn't feel good about writing tweets even, you know, it's like a very specialized skill. I just felt good about writing 
I guess you could call them blog posts and now it's a newsletter. And for whatever reason, that's the thing that I feel like I can do. In some ways, does it take some of the pressure off as opposed to when you write for a web-based entity, so much attention is paid to making the headline compelling enough, having it, teasing people, getting them to click. This is a newsletter you're pushing out to people that are expecting the content to come to them. Does that make it a little more comfortable? That's interesting. You know, I think, you know, there is the element of uh, at Seaside Joe, we do show up in Google search results. And, uh, you know, even though it's a newsletter, you can some people, not as many, but some people find us through Google and searches. And, you know, it, it is uh, important to any creator, I think, to make sure that anybody who might like what you're doing can find it. So writing headlines, you know, is again, it's something I've done 15,000 times. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there is an element of, okay, this is going to be a SEO based headline, or this is going to be a headline that when you get the email, I hope that it gives you the information that you would want to, you know, to need to find out what's inside, because I'd much rather you read the article than didn't read it for sure. So it's, to me, it's like writing the headline is how do I, how would I see the email on my phone, you know? And so if it says, if it doesn't say enough in the first three words, then it may just pass someone by. But I definitely want people to know, you know, that there's something in there for them to read. And it's funny because people throw around terms like clickbait so mm -hmm. easily, readily, you yeah. know, flippantly, loosely these days. Anything that they don't like is just clickbait. But I think what's what's true about clickbait clickbait is come read this article or come watch this video. Here's the title. Then you go and it's not that clickbait is not. Yeah. Did the Seahawks overpay Draymond Jones? Right. So that's not clickbait. That's a question. And the, the question isn't meant to be like, Oh, I'm, I'm trying to get a, a negative emotional reaction out of you or some sort of emotional reaction out of you. It's a, it's clickbait is Seahawks. I mean, I see it everywhere on YouTube, you know, where it'll say like Seahawks trade for Aaron Rodgers. you know, like that is clickbait where you right. click on it and, and it's, it's just not even that. Yeah. Uh, but definitely I want headlines that make people want to come read the article, of course. Um, but also by delivering in the headline, Hey, this is, I think that I've written an article you should want to read. Here's what it's about. I'm glad you referenced that particular piece, uh, because one of the things I appreciate about the newsletter is you don't just write about newsy events or roster changes or speculation of 53 man roster projections, but you ask questions, compelling questions. Um, and, and sometimes when I'm watching game broadcasts or I'm watching telecasts talking about the Seahawks, sometimes I just feel like the right questions aren't being asked or that maybe only the easy questions are being asked. You did that piece that you referenced a couple of days ago, and and the headline was, did the Seahawks overpay for Draymond Jones? Um, it's a question. It's a premise. And you even began the newsletter by saying, I know before some of you even read this piece, you're going to jump down to the comments and, and tell me how ridiculous it is that I'm even asking this question. What was the impotence or the impetus uh, that day that you were writing that to want to explore that concept? 
Yeah, usually, you know, a, a lot of ideas will come from just reading something on the Internet. And, you know, a lot of times it'll be something as simple as going to overthecap.com, just just browsing who the Seahawks are paying and how much they're paying and how and something will just be like, oh, OK, that sparks a question in my brain. Is mm -hmm. that good enough for an article or it'll be the stats from last year at pro, pro football reference dot com or It'll be a, a tweet or it'll be something, you know, a, a YouTube video, whatever it is. That article in particular, I was writing, reading a blog post about Draymond Jones because I'm preparing an article about sort of uh, the origin story, the history of Draymond Jones to get to know who he was as a high school player, as a recruit, as a college player. All the things that led to him coming to the Seattle Seahawks on, on the contract that he did because he has such a unique signing for Pete Carroll and John Schneider. They yeah. usually spend that kind of money on outside free agents. And so it'll be interesting to see how he fits in. I wanted to get to know what the Broncos writers and the Broncos fans thought of Draymond Jones because to me that says a lot. You know, I, I, I know a lot about the, the, the L.A. Rams. So when the Seahawks signed Gerald Everett, I was like, I don't think this is a good signing. I've seen Gerald Everett mm. play a lot of football. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you're going to be disappointed. Uh, and it's not because he's not like going to provide a few good plays or that he's not a good athlete, all these kind of things. But if you actually watched him every week, you would just know how how much of a letdown kind of underwhelming it, it kind of was. Mm. Uh, the Gerald Everett experience, which I just think you don't get unless someone is watching the team every week and really, you know, having that that sense of it day in and day out. So with Draymond Jones, I want to know what the Broncos writers thought. Did they think that the Seahawks made a good signing or did they think that they wanted the Broncos to really bring him back? And I read this post and they said that Draymond Jones projected to make seven million a year, which didn't sound right. You know, it definitely didn't sound right, yeah. but it, it did sound like, OK, well, they're also not trying to get the Broncos to franchise tag. They weren't, you know, they were like, we want Draymond Jones back, but if he leaves, fair enough. So then it's just a it's just a valid question, I think. I like to write about the Seahawks as if I'm not a Seahawks fan. Because hmm. then I think you're getting the yeah. uh, expert opinion. And when I say expert, you know, I'm just a guy who has followed the team, like a lot of fans, every day for a long time. And we're very lucky in that they haven't changed regimes since 2010 so mm -hmm. they're very consistent with what they do so i just wanted to know is this an overpay i think like the overarching feeling i have about all free agent signings especially outside free agent signings is that the vast majority of big contracts are overpays you have to overpay almost any free agent to get him uh, on the market which is why so many free agent contracts look bad in retrospect and don't end up playing out the full year, you know, the full contract because there's competition for that person's services. And, uh, you know, it may just be, hey, he's catching, he's going to try and catch the team that is the most desperate to pay the most money uh, at a certain point in time. And I just feel like, okay, if you, of course, if you could draft Draymond Jones and get the same production, that'd be, you know, of great value. Right. Long story short, you know, I think that the Seahawks are probably paying Draymond Jones more money than what most teams would want to pay a player of his skill set. And so by that definition, it is an overpay. But by another definition, teams win Super Bowls sometimes because they overpay players. Yeah. You know, because they, they're like, we're not, we're going to pay more money here 
And we're going to, because we're saving money at our offensive tackle positions, like the Seahawks are doing right now, you know? So I think that there are, there are, there are ways to spin that as yes, Draymond Jones is overpaid, but you have to overpay some players in the NFL. All the good teams do it. And it's just how you get, look at Frank Clark, you know, on the chiefs, they traded too much for him. They paid him too much money mm-hmm. and he helped them win two Super Bowls. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's just sort of how the business works. You've obviously written a lot of content over the last calendar year on Geno Smith. Uh, one of the more remarkable stories I can remember um, following the Seahawks my entire life, a guy basically been written off by the league as a, just a journeyman backup for the rest of his career, sat on the bench, backing up Russell Wilson for three years in Seattle becomes, uh, becomes a upper tier quarterback worthy of a bigger second contract. You wrote a piece, I think it was yesterday's newsletter. Um, Comparing him to a, uh, just making a very interesting player comp to me, to a former NFL MVP quarterback. What do you see as the similarities potentially between Geno Smith and 2016 version of Matt Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I I think the the clear similarity, first and foremost, is that they're both very accurate quarterbacks. Um, and, you know, they, they both have had uh, that, showcasing opportunity leading the league in completion percentage uh at certain points um right around 70 percent but just you know very accurate and you know certainly as i said in the article too matt ryan probably is he gets the benefit or the credit you know to say that you know he's a better quarterback than geno smith if we're talking about you know the course of their 10 first 10 years in the league, because obviously Gino didn't play as a starter for seven years. And Matt Ryan, you know, made a ton of starts, made a ton of playoff appearances, had some good games, but I think we sort of overrate and maybe I'm just talking about myself maybe, but like, I think it's, it's easy to overrate the gaps and the differences between say the seventh best quarterback and the 17th best quarterback it could really come down to a couple plays a game that add up over the course of the season mm-hmm. where you're seeing like okay yeah this guy made a couple more mistakes and those those mistakes you know they'll really kill you and those those additional touchdown passes or whatever it is will really help you but then it's also as as i was writing you know the supporting cast is so beneficial yeah. and the, the coaching staff i mean We've seen what Kyle Shanahan has been able to do with Jimmy Garoppolo and Brock Purdy and just that host of quarterbacks in that San Francisco 49ers offense to get the most out of them. And Matt Ryan, by all accounts, by most accounts, would be better than any quarterback that Kyle Shanahan had had has in San Francisco and also Julio Jones and also you know, a very strong running game and all these yeah. these things around Matt Ryan, as opposed to Geno Smith, didn't really have a good opportunity with a good supporting cast and a strong coaching staff. And, it, you know, I think we, without bias, can say that the Seahawks, from everything that we've heard from former players, players who go around the league, have a very uh, positive, strong culture where you, they feel very uh, able to, you know, just perform well and be, be better selves. It doesn't work out for everybody. But it, uh, when we're comparing the, the the Jets to maybe the Seahawks, you know, maybe uh, Geno Smith is just set up better to perform last year than at any point in his career. So then going into next year, is it really that outlandish to think that Geno Smith, with 
arguably what could be the best wide receiver trio in the NFL with a very good set of tight ends with two offensive tackles that may, you know, that were pretty good, you know, last year, but were only in their first years and could be actually good this year, potential upgrades in the interior of the offensive line, getting his third year of continuity with Shane Waldron, getting a second year of continuity as the starter in the offense, mm-hmm. having two potential starting running backs behind him. And maybe, you know, and I think this can't be understated, maybe a few opportunities on the schedule to really, you know, if the Seahawks want to pad his stats a little bit, try and run mm-hmm. up the score, try and be, because to me, this is the most important thing you got to do in the NFL today. You got to be able to score points. You know, it's like, I want to yeah. see teams that can put up 35 points when they need to put up 35 points. I understand that, you know, Pete Carroll loves to win a game 17 to seven or 17 to three or whatever it is. And a win is a win. But when I look at all the teams that are winning the Super Bowl, it's 35 points, 38 points. It's high scoring teams, it's high scoring offenses, because when it comes down to, hey, now you have to beat Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, uh, Josh Allen, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles. We saw the Rams a couple years ago with all their offensive weapons and their talent on offense. The Bucks with Tom Brady and, and all the weapons that Tom Brady had to have in 2020. So I think it's it's imperative for for the Seahawks to let the passing offense and the running you know the rushing game go off a little bit this year so i could see them working on you know that aspect of the game and maybe he puts up 35 touchdown passes cuts down on you know some of his turnover worthy plays that being said i think the team is legitimately high on Drew Locke and and are are interested to see what he'll look like this training camp and and uh, getting more comfortable with the offense too. Not because I think that the Seahawks are in, you know, uh, are preparing to make a change at quarterback. I just think like Geno Smith, if he had played for the first eight games, like he played in the last eight games, he may have been benched in the middle of last season. Mm, yeah, you know, and and the, the the way that the Seahawks finished last year, they need to not start like that this year. Um, and the, the amount of money and incentives that they gave Drew Locke was at least interesting to me. And so uh, I just throw that in there to say, I think that Geno Smith's ceiling is very, you know, pretty high. And I think that the Seahawks um, are also prepared, you know, just in case uh, of the worst case scenario. But they've clearly... Uh, with Jackson Smith and Jigba, Zach Charbonnet, Kenneth Walker, Charles Cross, Abe Lucas, um, Noah Fant, over the last, just over the last 14 months, have done quite a lot to try and get better around that position. The Geno Smith story is fascinating to me, and I think think one of the reasons that people still aren't comfortable getting fully on board with him is because we've just never seen anything like this. Well, not never. There's the Steve Berline, Rich Gannon, some guys later in their career have kind of popped, but to sit and not get a snap uh, of any meaningful way for seven years like he did and come out and do what he did is pretty remarkable. Um, and you make a great point about Drew Locke. This is going to be a, a fun preseason. I suspect Geno Smith's going to get a little bit more of the Russell Wilson treatment this preseason as the clear-cut starter, not getting as many snaps, and, and Locke's really going to have an opportunity to show what he can do. Um, 
final note, I want, uh, I'm going to throw a little attaboy your way. Um, this was a remarkable draft in a lot of ways. And, and one of them, the least of which, uh, Seahawks went corner at number five, which so many people were unwilling to even consider the possibility of because they had never done it before. Never taken a guy higher than 90 with Shaq Griffin, let alone the fact, you know, just don't even pay any attention to the fact that they haven't had opportunities to take guys that high on the morning of the draft with everything leading up to it, all the thought and all the analysis you'd put into it, your gut instinct. And you wrote about it was that you were, I think you pegged it at like 90, 95% sure that Devin Witherspoon was going to be the guy that day. What made you so sure? You know, I, 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 I was right there with everybody else. And for many you know, the last few years, every time a cornerback would come up in conversations in the draft, first, second round, or anything of that nature, I would say the same thing. Hey, look, the Seahawks don't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the Seahawks haven't been in that. They haven't really taken that shot. They feel very confident in their ability to find guys later in the draft. So I was there all the whole time and even probably uh, a month before the draft. And then uh, it was just the power of deduction, crossing names off the list saying i you know i got off of quarterbacks very early on in the process because mm -hmm. i didn't i just got off of them i said if they were that good as we saw with three of the top four picks they won't be available so right. uh, i just started crossing off the quarterbacks i was like that's going to be a waste of time for me i felt that was the way that it was going to be just like last year a lot of people were focused on quarterbacks malik willis desmond ritter i said I, that's just not i don't think so uh and so that got rid of a lot of uh, of names. Jalen Carter, I was with for a long time, mm -hmm. uh, just thinking, yeah, I mean, this could be the one. But then at the same time thinking, but we don't know. If they've crossed him off the list, then this is also a waste of time. And eventually I was just like, when I got to Devin Witherspoon, which was I was watching a video by Rondé Barber, and Rondé Barber was comparing Christian Gonzalez to Devin Witherspoon, and he said a lot of very complimentary things about Christian Gonzalez. And then he said, but he's nowhere near Devin Witherspoon, and he was talking about how Christian Gonzalez doesn't finish off plays, that he plays not to get hurt, that he, he you know that he's not very uh, physical. Hmm. And then he said that Devin Witherspoon was the absolute opposite of that, that he finishes plays, that he, he plays to, you know, that he's the most competitive guy. And it just sounded like this is so Pete Carroll. Everything that he's saying about Devin Witherspoon is not just what Pete Carroll wants. It's what the Seahawks lacked last yeah. season and that yep. they've lacked since all those players from the Legion of Boom uh, went away. So there was that element of it. And then it was like I was never really uh, thinking that it would be Tyree Wilson mm -hmm. Who is really left at that point? There weren't going to be any other uh, real positions of, of of note. It was really just came down for me between like Jalen Carter and Devin Witherspoon. And then it was just if I what I said uh, around Devin Witherspoon was he's the guy that Pete Carroll takes into every conversation about every other prospect they could draft and says, make me want you more than I want this guy because I really want this guy. He plays so hard. He's very competitive. He's very physical. He's great against the run. He's great in coverage. He's great in press. He's great in man. He's great in zone. He's great in all of these things. He's just not, you know, he's not 6'5", like Richard Sherman or right. whatever, uh, however, 6'3". You know, he's not. There was those little things that you could pick apart. But 
what we really saw from the Seahawks is they lacked this attitude, really. They don't put mm-hmm. they don't put any real fear in offenses. Offenses just go like, let's just go after them over and over again. And you could just sense that with Devin Witherspoon, he's not the biggest guy, but you can sense that he's that guy who you just feel like is going to lay a hit on Debo Samuel or Christian McCaffrey or one of these guys early in the game to say, not this year, not this time. It's not going to go down this way because you've got to take out some of those uh, zones, those lanes, those those plays that, that teams like the 49ers uh, want to run on you. You've got to take them out somehow. And so he fit on the team. It, it, like There was a clear need there. He was he he had all the physical traits. He had all the game traits. He had uh, and he just had the mental traits. All of those things that it said, I'm really not going to draft this guy because it's pick five instead of pick ten. You know, I'm really not going to draft this guy just because we've never drafted a cornerback. Like you said, what opportunities have they really passed on? Yeah. Last year, they were looking hard at Sauce Gardner. I think that that was a very reasonable assumption to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and also the game has changed. Uh, the, the amount of money that cornerbacks make changed. The amount of cornerbacks going in the top five has gone up of recent uh, of late with names like Stingley and Gardner. So it was all just sort of there to be like, maybe those other years weren't the right time, but, if the Seahawks pick Devin Witherspoon, he's going to be a fan favorite. He's going to be a, like the choice that makes you feel good. That even if for some reason it didn't work out, you felt very good about the choice you made. And with Jalen Carter, it was like, well, if this doesn't work out, then you also don't feel good about the choice you made. So that's kind of where I was like, I think it's Devin Witherspoon. He was the seventh or eighth highest odds to go to the Seahawks at pick five. But I was like, I don't think it's any anybody else. Uh, so... I'll just say Devin Witherspoon um, with the caveat that maybe they would trade down, but I didn't really see that happening either. Seaside Joe, uh, tell people how they can find your newsletter and subscribe to it. Yeah, you know, I'm still trying to figure this out, but for some reason, I think you have to go to www.seasidejoe.com. I don't think seasidejoe.com alone will work, Uh, but you can also just Google Seaside Joe um, or here's the thing I say to people now you can go to the Twitter. Um, but I, that's I, how I, I found it was in I your think, bio. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like seaside Joe news on Twitter, but I want to be like very clear to people that I don't use anything except for the newsletter. I don't have, I don't tweet. I don't have a Facebook and Instagram, a TikTok, another website, uh, anything like that. I, I believe very strongly in like just doing this one thing. And so, you know, that's where all of my effort and uh, content goes is www.seasidejoe.com. And um, yeah, th- I assume that it's going to keep going for, for many more days in a row. So uh, hopefully people check it out. I will put the link to the correct uh, site in the description for anyone that's interested. I believe also if you have the Substack app, you can just search Seaside Joe and it'll come up there and add it to your subscriptions. It is well worth the cost. Thank you very much for your time today, sir. Um, Would love to have you back on the show once the season starts. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, That's going to do it for me. Uh, Tomorrow, uh, Sanjeet T from the Football Scout 
um, YouTube page joins me. He has a really fascinating take on the ceiling of one of his favorite Seahawk draft picks from day three. And the thing I love about Sanjeet's breakdown, he's not a Seahawk fan. Uh, join me for that. And we look at some of the other Seahawk draft picks as well. Until then, this is Seahawks Forever. I'm Dan. Thanks for joining me.